0: Well, some of you may know, I recently graduated from seminary with a master's degree in worship arts ministry, and it was part of my sort of return to pastoring the most recent time. And uh, I, felt, I felt very sure in my understanding of who Jesus was and salvation and the Bible, I wasn't really asking any significant, or I wasn't asking any massive questions about theology, but there were so many little things that were I felt in this return to pastoring that I needed to work through. So the experience really helped me formalize some of my rocks in the river when it comes to the deeper nuances of scripture, um, who God is, how he has revealed himself. And so I want to thank you because the church actually helped fund my seminary degree. So thank you. Um, um, I feel so well cared for and loved by my church family. And um, I'll just, I want to break off for a second here and just thank my mom who happens to be here. This is unscripted for a second. But thank you, Mom, for praying for me all those years. She prays Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 over, over me probably daily. Um, so trust in the Lord with all your heart. And not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. He will make your path straight. I don't think I ever memorized it, but it was just prayed into me over the years. So, um, but I wanted to today. I'm preaching my graduation sermon. We I graduated with 12 other students, and we our capstone project was a sermon in Philippians. Um, so I thought, you know what? I'm going to preach it at my church. <laughs> so if you don't like it, you can call my advisor at Northern Seminary. Give him your input, and we'll see what happens from there. I'm sure I'll get a call. If if you call him, I'll definitely get a call. But um, but I hope that this this uh, sermon, it, it's not about me. It's about the scriptures and His Word, and I pray that it has power in your own life. And I want to turn now to the Lord. Uh, pray, you can bow your head, and we'll pray together as we. Um, Prepare our hearts and minds for the teaching of God's word. Lord, your word is holy and upright and perfect, perfectly good for changing us and making us new through your spirit and through the work of Christ. It sheds light on life like no other thing in the world. And so we praise you for your word. I pray that today, Lord, it would become... Uh, light in this room. I pray that you would just open it up to whomever needs that clarity from your word. And Lord, your love is overwhelming as we sang about. Your love goes beyond our understanding at times, but you've given us so much in your scriptures to reveal who you are. And we thank you and we praise you for that. And we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is a picture of the Brooklyn Bridge. I don't need to tell you what bridge it is, probably most of you. So this is the Brooklyn Bridge in New York City. Since 1883, it has uh, graced the landscape of New York City. It's this iconic image of achievement and accomplishment in our history, the history of a great city. And uh, it was one of the, it has granite towers and cables that sus- help suspend the deck, and it was one of the first bridges built with this design. The designer, John Roebling, had built a couple of other bridges, Niagara Falls and some other places. But this was his capstone project. In fact, he got injured on site and ended up passing away as a result of that injury. So this was his last you know, significant project. He was a German immigrant, and he had to work hard to sell the Brooklyn Bridge, to the people at the time. Uh, It took 15 years to build it. Over 600 people worked on it. Over 24 um, passed away and died in the construction of it. So it came at a great cost. Uh, When the Brooklyn Bridge first opened, it was actually more expensive to cross then than it is today. So I guess some things do get cheaper in life, (laughs) the Brooklyn Bridge being one of them. When, when it first opened, you had to pay a penny to walk across it, and you had to, um, five cents for a horse and its rider, or ten cents for a buggy and a horse. And interestingly, if you had a cow and you wanted to give it, get it across the Brooklyn Bridge, you had to pay five cents, but if you had a sheep or a hog, you only had to give two pennies to get that sheep across the Brooklyn Bridge. Um... It's shown up in all kinds of art. Georgia O'Keeffe, Andy Warhol have used it in their visual art. Jack Kurak has used it in his poetry. P.T. Barnum, the circus maker, uh, marched 21 elephants across the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Bridge right when it opened to show that, hey, this, is, this bridge is strong enough to hold you as a person. But in 1869, when the project was first undertaken... Many didn't think that it was attainable, and part of that was because of the design. Uh, The the approach spans between the two columns, there were approach spans, and they had to extend well into land. The bridge is over a mile long, and the Navy wanted the height of the bridge to be high enough that the massed ships of the day could get underneath the bridge. So it was higher than any other bridge of its time, especially in New York City. And so the people couldn't comprehend, why would the Spans have to go that far into Brooklyn or that far into Manhattan? Because something new is taking shape. And it has turned out to be this amazing achievement. It was the first, one of the first bridges that had a promenade that you'd walk across. And I think it's amazing that like to this day, it has stood the test of time. Even in its design, there's a whole upper deck that you can pedestrian across, you can promenade across and it carries all this traffic below. So I, I love the Brooklyn Bridge. It, it, it's the picture of um, our American history, what we've been able to accomplish, but also just artistically, it's this amazing thing, and it's utilitarian to boot. So, But I, let's think of it as an achievement, okay? And that's kind of the starting topic today, the concept of achievement. The word achievement comes from a French word, it literally means to finish something to complete something but many of you know and i know that the word achievement carries with it like a sense of pride oh that you know that brick wall that you built over there that was an awesome achievement you should take a sense of ownership and accomplishment and pride in your work and our lives start to accumulate all these like achievements that we Kind of go about. They just come to us, and we work hard for them in some cases. And then our life is made up of a series of accomplishments and achievements. And in many ways, that's great. But the scripture today is going to point into um, just a really big idea when it comes to the faith. And that is, with God, there is no achieving. You can take this truth to your grave. With God, There is no achieving. And to say it more directly, you can't achieve God. He's not something to be achieved or accomplished. And Paul's going to, in this letter to the Philippians, he's going to open this idea up. You can turn to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at this concept of achievement and how it impacts our faith. Uh, and we're, we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, because that was the passage that was assigned to me for graduation. So that's what we're looking at today. But the whole letter of Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote from prison to the first church he ever planted. And you can read in Acts 15, 16, 17, how the Philippian church in Philippi came to life. Lydia was there, one of the first believers. Paul shared the gospel with her out by the river, outside the city gates. People started hearing the gospel. Um, There was a a commotion. Paul and Silas got put in jail. Chains fell off. And Paul came out and they started a church in Philippi. It was his first church plant. And now he's writing this letter back to them while he's in prison, likely in Rome. And he's saying, while I have these chains, I want to write a letter of encouragement to you. So the whole letter is just one encouragement after another. But here in chapter 3, this is, this is where it gets a little bit heavy because he starts to give them this warning on something that's happening with the people around them, and I think it's really relevant for us. So I'm going to read Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble for me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth And may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. I want to zoom in to verse 8. It'll be on the screen here. Beautiful verse. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. How can there be a worth that surpasses worth? How can there be Something that surpasses worth. And that's what Paul's getting at. And he, he starts to explain it with his own life. He holds his own life before the church there in Philippi and says, look at me. At this time, there were um, Judaizers who were saying basically that, yeah, Jesus is great and he is the way to the Father, but also we need to be perfected in our own flesh, in our own strength. And we need to make sure that we have all these things in order as we come to Christ. And they were getting it out-of-order. And he says, watch out for these guys. He calls them dogs, which he was writing primarily to a Gentile audience, a non-Jewish audience, who uh, the Gentiles were often called dogs. So he's saying, watch out. And he's doing a play on words when he talks about those who are trying to add something to the faith that can be achieved or accomplished in the flesh. And he says, look at my life. If anyone wants to play this game, I will volunteer and I will win. (laughs) And he goes on. I mean, Paul, to me, at times, feels superhuman. He feels unrelatable. The guy was shipwrecked three times. Who gets shipwrecked three times and lives to tell about it, number one? And then, can you write on, plant these churches, appeal to Caesar, you know, going all the way through prison, preaching the gospel to the bitter end? And he's this amazing example. And he gives us this picture, this list. He says, Circumcision, well, I was circumcised on the eighth day, according to the Levitical law, precisely the right day at the right time, it took on the marks of the faith. I'm from the tribe of Israel. In fact, I'm from. I'm from the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, chosen people of God. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. What he was saying was, yeah, remember our first king, King Saul? Well, I carry his name. I was named after King Saul, and I'm from his tribe. He's my tribe. The first king of Israel, that's where I come from. I can trace back my lineage all the way back to that tribe. And he goes on, he just talks about how Even his recent family line. Okay, well, I'm not just basing this on a long line of heritage. I'm basing it on even a recent past. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. My parents taught me to speak Hebrew. When Paul spoke up toward the end in Jerusalem, he spoke up in Hebrew. He said, I was one of the ones trained at the feet of Gamaliel. And then he went on and he said, I'm a Pharisee. You want to talk about Pharisees? I am a Pharisee. And he appealed to them as Pharisees, one set apart to protect the way of God, the law of God. He says, I have zeal. I have righteousness. I have righteousness through the law. In fact, I'm blameless according to the law. Paul calls himself blameless. Now, we should mention, he goes on to say I'm not perfect. So there's a difference. He's not complete. But here, according to the law, according to the Torah, the way of God that was presented to allow people to be in relationship with God. He is blameless, but he counts it all rubbish According to, uh, in, in comparison to the worth of knowing Christ. He talks about this rubbish that all these achievements and accomplishments are not going to make up what God has done in me. Start thinking about this sense. How do we think of accomplishment and achievement? This is amazing because all of us, you know, we're constantly going through life gleaning just one accumulation after another, whether it be stuff or degrees or friendships or parenting or being a good citizen, all these things. And God is using them in our life. But how do we think of them in relation to our faith? And that's what Paul is getting at. You can find anything on the internet, right? So I went a search, and who is the most qualified person in the world? And I found this. Shrikant Jakar, at one point in history, you'll you'll get some different answers from the the internet, of course, but this guy is a a stellar example. Shrikant Jakar, he was India's most qualified person in the 80s and 90s by training, so he, he, had a, he was trained as a medical doctor, he had a law degree, he had a plethora of master's degrees, public administration, sociology, economics, Sanskrit, history, English literature, philosophy, political science, ancient Indian history, culture and archaeology, psychology. He had a doctorate of literature in Sanskrit, which is the highest degree you can earn, And he had all these pieces of Sanskrit in his library. He had over 52,000 books in his library. And to boot, he was a good citizen. He helped out with the community. He gave back. He was the most qualified person in India for maybe a decade or longer. And I I raised him up as an example. Um, These are good things that he accomplished. And... And if he accomplished them in Christ, then all the glory will go to Christ. But I show him as an example because our lives can be similar. I mean, think about your own life. What have you achieved through trial, through struggle? What have you accomplished because of the challenges that you've come from? So what do we do with that? Do we, how do we count it as rubbish? That sounds too negative, right? But this is what Paul does. He says it's rubbish. It's like what we throw to the dogs in comparison of knowing Christ. And even in Paul, even as he reveals Christ, we can look at this scripture again. Look at how he describes um, this idea of finding Christ. You can see on the screen this verse again. Paul says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of everything, all things. And I count them as rubbish. In order that I may gain Christ and find him. Is that what it says? No. Paul, I think this is a beautiful picture of Paul's humility. Paul didn't say he found Christ. He said, "He was found in Christ. That's amazing. He was found in Christ. He didn't find Christ. Christ was revealed to him, and then in the in that revelation, which actually happened on a road, Pete, uh, Paul found himself in that identity of the, the identity of Christ." He says, I I didn't achieve this. And he's saying to all the people, um, and he's reminding this church that you cannot live your life um, out of a sense of achievement, that you have achieved God, because you haven't even achieved God. He came to you, and he made himself known. There's a book called The Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard, And the premise of the book, essentially, I've reframed it a little bit, but the way that I've reframed it is it's it's given me a helpful principle, which is, okay, Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And he lived a perfect life um, as an an opportunity for us to be reconciled with God, that we, um, through Jesus' perfect life and the death on his cross and the resurrection... um, symbolizing victory over death and sin, he has paid the full price, the full penalty for all of our sins. And by that act, we have the opportunity to be found in Christ and allow our identity to be found in him. But the the divine conspiracy part is that after Jesus ascended to heaven, Hebrews tells us that he sat down at the right hand of the Father and he... The the things that we have now today when it comes to Christ and his presence are number one, his holy scriptures revealed through the scriptures. Number two, we have the Holy Spirit, which makes Christ known. And then we have the body of Christ. Symbolically, we remember it at the Lord's table, remember his body and his blood, this new covenant. But that's not his body. That's a remembrance. The body of Christ is the church. So what you're telling me is that someone comes into a personal identification with Jesus Christ as Lord. And the way to do that is through the Holy Scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the church. That's how, they, that's how you know Christ. And that's, I love this quote from the book, kind of gets at this paradox that Jesus is sitting quietly at the center of everything. It should be on the screen. There's a, a verse here. Yet today, from countless paintings, statues, and buildings, is a quote from the book. From literature and history, from personality and institution, from profanity popular song and entertainment media from confession to controversy from legend to ritual jesus stands quietly at the center of the contemporary world as he himself predicted he so graced the ugly instrument on which he died that the cross has become the most widely exhibited and recognized symbol on all all the earth The cross is the most recognized symbol in the whole world. And this is the beauty of our faith that Jesus Christ, through the testimony of his life in Scripture, he has made himself known. But in his divine way, he has made himself approachable and findable in mystery. And you have to approach the church? How many of you have been hurt by the church? Right? You have to approach the church. You have to identify yourself with the body of Christ as his whole church. One person doesn't make up the body of Christ. We all play integral roles in one body of Christ. And then you have to receive him through the work of the Holy Spirit. And then you learn more about the revealed Jesus Christ through the scriptures which, if you know anything about history, requires a lot of faith in this document. I mean, the way that this, these scriptures have come together, the storyline itself is not what gives me the faith in it. It's the, the weight of the words and the truth revealed through scripture, which more and more is like this refining fire in my life, the word of God, the words of Jesus. So what does it mean to be found in Christ then? It means to receive his righteousness and to let go of everything that you could possibly do in your own strength or flesh and accept Christ in you, the mystery of Christ in you being revealed. And in that struggle with your flesh and your spirit, as you receive Christ, you have these days, you go through the day and you have a terrible thought. And you, and, you, and you say, well, Christ is in me. I have the mind of Christ, the spirit of Christ, and I just had this terrible thought. What is going on? But asking that question is part of Christ's work in you. And, and then you step back and you have this prayer life and Christ is living in you, refining you, Making you more like him. And that's, that's Paul's message to this church. So he, he says, You have to let go of anything that you can accomplish in your flesh. And then, in this drawing near to God, he will draw near to you and you will find yourself in Christ, in the gift of salvation. And then you confess Christ as Lord, Savior, you receive his righteousness. And I'm really thankful to Paul that he just doesn't end the story, this charge right there. Because this last section, to me, has really brought um, a fervency to my life. He says, brothers, I'm not perfect. I am not yet complete. I continue to strain forward to take hold of Christ because he has taken hold of me. And he says, one thing, I do one thing sounds like two things to me, but he calls it one thing. He says, I do one thing, forgetting what lies behind and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on. So maybe the one thing is the pressing on. What does it look like to press on in your life? Okay, how do you live out your identity in Christ and continue to finish things? complete things. I don't believe that Jesus wants us just to be found in Christ and then stop, but he doesn't want us to go on trying to perfect himself. Why would you go back to the flesh when something that has started in the spirit, like in Galatians, why would you try to do that? So I want to give us just a few minutes at the end here just to give some practical insight on what this means. So the first thing is to take account of your achievements. This is what Paul did for us. He made a list. So maybe you need to make a list of all the things that you've achieved. And in my life, some of them come to us, like these prayers that are prayed into our hearts and minds by our parents. Other things I've kind of taken hold of and figured out as I went. Um, But it's pretty easy to say, look back on that and say, well, good job, Terry. You did a good job there. (laughs) You earned this. You know, you worked hard. We do this with our children. Good job learning to ride a bike. That was a great achievement. And then as they add up, we start to feel pretty good about ourselves. And we actually can see some results too. That's, That's the interesting thing. We can look at the Brooklyn Bridge and see all the results of the way God has equipped mankind to impact the earth, and we start to feel, okay, I got this, and this is exactly what uh, Paul was attacking with a fervency. He said, "I could, it's not any trouble for me to write this to you." Okay, you need to focus on this. So, number one, taking account of your achievements, and then number two, have you f- been found in Christ? I'm not saying did you find Christ, but have you been found in Christ? Um, we could say this is salvation, and Christ comes to you, and you receive Him, you confess Him as Lord. Uh, one simple way is is can you say, "I love You, Jesus, my Lord, my Savior, my King." If it's hard for you to say that, um, that may indicate that that there there hasn't been a full surrendering in your life to who Jesus is as King, as the Messiah the way to the Father, the only way to understand who God is is through Christ. And we stand on Scripture with that thought. So have you been found in Christ? Um, it begins with that confession of who Jesus is, but it, it goes on to figuring out who, what is your identity in Christ? Who has he made you to be? It has nothing to do with your achievements or your accomplishments. It has to do with the fact that you're a son and a daughter, an adopted one in the family of God. And then lastly, point number three is pressing on. Of the three, what what do you need to give time to this week? Do you need to maybe look back and take some accounting and then forget what lies behind? That's hard. Or do you need to just be thoughtful about who is Jesus Christ in your life? This is, you're going to be held accountable for this. You're going, to, you're going to hear from God on this. Who do you say Jesus Christ is? And... And then finding your identity in him. That's, that's the salvation piece. And then third, pressing on. Paul talks about it as sufferings. In Acts 28, at the very end, he, he was in prison, maybe writing this letter. And he steps out and he makes his final appeal. And he tries to reason with the Jewish brothers and sisters. And he, he reasons with them from the law of Moses and the prophets. And he tries to convince them who Jesus Christ is because he has things in this right order. So pressing on for Paul was suffering. You want to know what pressing on looks like in the, in the act of Christian faith. It's trials, it's suffering, it's loss. It says that Paul suffered the loss of all these things. It doesn't mean that they were easy to give up or that he, they were just like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I'm this, that, or the other. It's, there was a suffering of the loss Of these achievements in light of who Christ is. And I want to just give you some a few minutes now. You can bow your head. And just want to give you just a couple minutes before we sing this last song to make a dedication to the Lord, make a confession to the Lord, um, make some decision with you and the Lord. Or maybe you just need to say something to him in your mind that still is frustrating you. This is part of the confession process, is stating how you see things and that they don't make sense. I don't know where you are, but I'll just ask you these three questions. Have you released yourself from a life of achievement? Have you been found in Christ? And then are you pressing on not in your own strength, but in the strength of Christ working out in you, taking hold of him because he is taking hold of you, pressing on toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul's life gives us. Lord, I pray over this group and this time. God, what do you want to say to us? What do you want to call us into? Uh, What do you want us to forget about and leave behind? Lord, I pray for the gift of your grace that comes through your Holy Spirit. Uh, Like in Paul's life, it said that uh, the darkness fell from his eyes like scales. And he received the Holy Spirit and he was baptized and he proclaimed the name of Jesus um, at his conversion on the road to Damascus. And uh, we thank you for his life and thank you for the call of his life to the Philippian church to imitate his life Um, and in so doing recognizing that it's Jesus who was in the image of God did not consider something that image something to hold on to to grasp but he emptied himself taking on the form of a servant the form of humanity he humbled himself to the to a cross to death on the cross So that at the name of Jesus, every knee knee will bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And because of that, God the Father elevated the name of Jesus above every name in all the earth. And we proclaim that here today. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen.